Jurors in a West Palm Beach courtroom were about to hear a family drama that seemed like it belonged on a soap opera or a Shakespearean stage. The themes of love, betrayal, and possibly revenge ran deep in the criminal trial that began in 2017. The jury was introduced to Donnie and Lanny Horwitz, who started dating when they were teenagers. They got married in 1967 then divorced, then married in the courthouse again just before 9-11, then divorced again, and then reunited for one last time, although their relationship was crumbling again. And then, a tragedy that would take a life and land someone else in prison. This is Jillian, and in partnership with Law & Crime, you are listening to Court Junkie, Episode 156. Lanny Horwitz, a sharp-tongued lawyer and developer, projected an image of luxury and wealth to the outside world. Lanny and his wife Donna owned a house in Asheville, North Carolina, but the family primarily lived in a gated community called Admiral's Cove in Jupiter, Florida, a small city on the Atlantic coast. It was the same neighborhood where you might see a celebrity like Michael Jordan playing golf. The Horwitz's five-bedroom, 4,200-square-foot home was a slick, architecturally modern house with vaulted ceilings and a pool in the courtyard. He carried nothing but the best, Palm Beach County Assistant State Attorney Alethea McRoberts said. He drove the best cars, Louis Vuitton luggage, ate at the best restaurants, portrayed himself as a very successful businessman, which is not unusual. You have to portray yourself as a successful businessman sometimes to make the business work. But for Lanny, the businesses were always just around the corner. In reality, Lanny was floundering. His Jupiter house looked beautiful on the outside, but it had three mortgages and was upside down. Lanny's latest business venture was with a company called LifeMax, which reportedly sold health products. But Lanny wasn't making much money with that. According to what attorney Gray Tesh told the jury, quote, Lanny, he brought in a dollar and he spent ten. That's how he rolled. He owed everybody money, and he was betting the farm on this life max. Donna and Lanny had one child, Radley, who by 2017 was in his 30s. Radley Horwitz was college-educated with an English degree from Florida Atlantic University. He was articulate, was known for working out at the gym, and he was a father to a seven-year-old daughter. But Radley was broke. At one point, he worked at a grocery store, but later went on unemployment, even though he lived with his parents in a multi-million dollar house in Admiral's Cove. Radley said he grudgingly called the house the Poodle Farm because of their, quote, three large standard poodles with the most ridiculous haircuts you've ever seen. Part of Radley's troubles were tied to his criminal background. A few years back, Radley had run his own gun business, buying and selling firearms. His father helped him set it up. That had been my livelihood, my hobby, and my passion, Radley later said in court. His parents were gun aficionados, too. Donna was an accomplished shooter and owned matching guns with her husband. 
Court testimony revealed Lanny often carried a gun and sometimes left it on the counter. His realtor had to remind him to put the weapon away when she showed the home. Eventually, though, Radley's work got him into trouble. He was arrested by federal authorities after ordering a gun part online that could convert a Glock handgun into a fully automatic weapon. Radley didn't have the special license, the assistant state attorney said. Radley testified his father told him to order the piece, so he did. He said he never forgot his father's words when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives knocked on the Horowitz door. There's a couple of big guys from ATF here to see you, Radley recalled his dad saying. And that's not what I would have said to my kid, no. It was obviously a pretty scary moment. Radley ended up taking the blame, though, and never mentioned his father's involvement. I thought it was the right thing to do, he said. Under the Fed's radar for buying the illegal gun piece, Radley was ultimately charged in 2006 with selling a gun to a convicted felon, which sent him to a federal institution in Miami for five months. The crime had upended his life. He lost his Hummer and couldn't find a job. He was down on his luck. That's how, in his 30s, he was living in the second master bedroom suite in his parents' home on the night of the shooting. Radley joined his dad in working with LifeMax, trying to find more distributors so they could rise in the company's ranks. It was a tough time for the father and son. Radley, trying to start over with a felony record. Lanny, feeling the financial strain. He wanted to tighten their belts. He fired the maid. He decided to sell the North Carolina house where he and Radley had been staying. In her opening statements, the assistant state attorney added another character to the Horwitz family drama, Francine Tice. Francine Tice lived near the Horowitz Jupiter house. In order to even get to Lanny's house in Admiral's Cove, you actually have to pass by Francine Tice's house, she said. Lanny knew Francine and her husband, who had been married for years and then got divorced. After the divorce, Lanny and Francine began spending more time together. Since they lived in the same neighborhood a few doors apart, Lanny was always over or taking her out to dinner or to the movies or celebrating her birthday. They texted each other at all times. Lanny had asked Francine to marry him so many times she lost track. It became their inside joke. They held hands or kissed, but Francine insisted they hadn't had sex when she testified later. They went into business together. It was Francine's idea for Lanny to get involved with LifeMax. Francine also had contacts as Lanny worked on a European land deal that he hoped would make it big, the dream deal he had been counting on for a decade. Lanny and Francine, business partners and dear friends, traveled together up to Lanny's North Carolina house and went abroad a few times. The assistant state attorney described Lanny as one step from bankruptcy, but said he was, quote, still traveling with Francine and going to the best restaurants and portrayed himself as being very successful and lavish in a lot of respects. By this time, again, Donna and Lanny were split up. Only Lanny had an idea. 
Remember, he was in danger of losing his Jupiter house, which had three mortgages taken out on it. He decided he wanted his former mother-in-law, Donna's mom, to bail him out. According to the assistant state attorney, quote, Much like they had done in the past, Lanny began to woo Donna to come home. And in this wooing, he tells her, If you could get your mom to give us $200,000 to save the house in Admiral's Cove, you and your mom can move back in and we could be a family. And Donna Horwitz was so excited about that, so very excited about the prospect that Lanny loved her. Lanny wanted to be a family again. Heard from Lanny today, Donna wrote in her diary, sounding like a breathless, giddy teenager. I'm so excited he actually loves me. Donna's family had the financial means to help Lanny with this house crisis on his hands. Donna's mother came from a well-to-do family, and Donna's dad had won a World Series as a coach in Major League Baseball. He then made investments in Buffalo that set up Donna's mother for the rest of her life, where, quote, she wouldn't have to worry about anything, according to Radley. Donna got the $200,000 from her mother without any trouble, setting into motion a Horwitz family reunion in early spring 2011. Lanny and Radley moved back to Florida from Asheville. Donna and her 91-year-old mother joined them. Donna's mother moved into the mother-in-law suite outside the main house. Only Donna's dream of reuniting with her ex-husband and falling in love again wasn't going as planned. Lanny kept seeing Francine that summer. Radley saw photographs on his dad's computer of him and Francine, where they looked too friendly to only be business partners. Radley tried his best to explain Lanny and Donna's complicated story when he spoke to police in an interview. So they they got divorced? Yeah, back in uh, 01. They got back together and... uh remarried uh, the day before 9-11 went down to the courthouse and uh, then uh, you know divorced again but uh, they met when they were my dad was 15 and my mom was 14 wow so they've been divorced and married twice I think that's right yeah so again they've known each other a long long time sounds like on and again off again Do do you know why they had that sort of relationship, what the dynamics were, um, so we get together and break up and all. Obviously, yeah, they've been. He says he's not uh, warm and effusive is the word that he uses, but uh, you know he can be uh, detached. I guess you know. Well, let me ask this: Do you know with for the Francine? I guess is this, this is someone your dad has had a relationship with for a long time. Like, or, uh, yeah, like, okay. I guess I know. Is it still an ongoing relationship? Um, supposedly, he told me that they're both dating other people. But, uh, you know, I certainly had the impression that when he went up to uh, North Carolina that he was going to be going with uh, with her. Okay. So your impression is that there's still some sort of relationship? I would suspect that, yeah. Okay. Does your mom know about that relationship? Um... Yeah, that they that they were involved, but I mean, you know, my dad said to me the other day that uh, you know that he still thought that he and my mom were gonna grow old together, you know. But then at the same time, my mom's saying he keeps you know teasing me about you know just 
being nasty when I wasn't around, you know. And he keeps going out on the, you know, business things with, uh, um, with Francine and stuff. And mom's here, you know, cooking dinner and taking care of the dogs with me and stuff. And, you know, I'm like, you know, what are you doing? In small, meticulous handwriting, Donna documented that time period in 2011 in her journal. The jury got a glimpse into her world through her diary entries, as she wrote about taking care of her aging mother and getting mani-pedis with her little granddaughter she loved very much. She noted when Lanny called her. Her ex-husband ringing her up was an important moment to record in her day. Donna was hopeful. He couldn't stop hugging me telling me how much he misses me, Donna wrote. He said we'll get back together, and I told him I'm looking forward to being with him. She added smiley faces to her posts. Exclamation points marked when Lanny asked Donna about the $200,000 and their reunion. Great day, Donna's diary said. But Francine was also a regular character in Donna's journal entries as well. We talked about having a future together, And he said Fran gives him a terrible time about Rad. And I told him none of her business. I said she's putting too much stress on you, Donna wrote. After Donna moved back in to the Admiral's Cove house, the diary pages seemed to go blank. Gone were the cheerful updates about spending time with her granddaughter. Donna was thinking more and more about Lanny and Fran spending time together. It was a constant theme in the journal. Like Lanny saying he was going over to fix Francine's television for 30 minutes, only he spent hours there. On July 30th, 2011, Donna was in high spirits, celebrating Lanny's birthday. Her Lanbo, as she called him, he means everything to me, Donna wrote, underlining it. Three days later, Donna's soaring spirits plummeted. It was Francine's birthday. Donna recorded her name simply as F, refusing to even write her full name on the page. Lanny left at 4.10 p.m. that day to take Francine out to dinner and didn't return until 9.30 p.m. Donna knew exactly how long. She wrote it in her diary. When Lanny and Francine left for a business conference, Donna wrote that Lanny was too busy to return her calls. On August 19th, 2011, Donna wrote, I know how Lanny feels about me now. Very difficult for me. He doesn't want me in this life, and his actions speak louder than his words. I want to keep our family together, but I don't think it's going to work with him. As if she needed more proof, Donna's birthday came a few days later, on August 21st. She was home all day and cooked herself hot dogs for dinner, she noted in her journal. Lanny was busy working on his business deal. When the deal went through, Lanny grabbed his sports jacket and picked up Francine to celebrate, Donna speculated. Lanny is really in love with her, she wrote. In Donna's ear was Lanny, who kept promising her that they could still work it out one moment, and then saying the next that if he truly knew how Francine felt about him, he never would have reunited with Donna. Sometimes he's nice with his comments, and sometimes he's nasty, Donna wrote. I call him Mr. Meanie. My heart is broken, and he's working on my mind and playing games with me. 
The last time Donna wrote in her journal was September 5th, 2011, a little more than three weeks before the shooting. Another long day of lies and being Mr. Meany. I stayed home all day, Donna wrote. I'm very tired. Her Lanbo had become Mr. Meany. Radley could see the effect it took on his mother. He described to police how his mom was so miserable, it was almost like she disappeared. She lost weight. It looked on the outside like she was in an emotionally abusive relationship. My mom would come in a few times here and there and say, and I mean, it's like she just kept getting like smaller and smaller, if that makes any sense, you know, besides the weight loss thing. And, you know, just sort of stand there like this and everything. And, you know, she said that he's so mean to me. And she'd come in from time, and she's like, you know, I know. She's like, as soon as, you know, Nana comes in or, or you come in, that he's all nice and stuff, but he's so mean to me. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've made the comment before, like, to the doctor that there's physical and there's psychological. And if somebody gives you a black eye, that'll heal. You may feel shitty about it, but that heals. But the stuff with him, you know, needling at me, and, I mean, nothing I ever did was right. And nothing I ever did was good enough. And I mean, I could have shit a golden egg and he said, we could have had a bigger one, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, business ideas that I don't, that's stupid, that would never work, you know. And so the psychological I- stuff is worse than a physical. I never saw them physical, but um, saying I never saw is I never saw In sunny Florida, in the giant house near the ocean, things weren't going well for the Horowitz family. Lanny denied anything was going on with his business partner, Francine. Donna was even more miserable. She was preparing to move out of the Florida house, again. She felt duped. The $200,000 was gone, spent on the house that was about to go under anyway. Lanny's attempt to save his property was about to be in vain. Radley offered to be the peacemaker. Maybe Donna and Lanny just needed to get away. They could go to the Asheville house for a weekend getaway before they sold it and reconnect, turn off their cell phones and just look at the mountains from the view on the porch deck. He offered to watch their pets and his grandma so Donna and Lanny could be worry-free. And that never happened, the assistant state prosecutor said. On September 29, 2011, Lanny's bags were packed. He was definitely going to go to North Carolina the next morning, but it wasn't quite clear with who, Donna or Francine. But when Lanny put out the LifeMax bags, the identification of his intended travel companion became more clear. With earplugs in, Radley went to bed that night. Here's how he described what happened to authorities. Yeah, you were saying you were in your I room? I sleep with uh, earplugs in because the dogs, because they're outside my uh, my door there. Okay. And usually, um, like, there's towels under their their things in their cages, so they don't make as much noise. But, uh, you know, they still wake me up. I just, it was like pop, pop, and the alarm was going off, and I heard screaming. And I was afraid to come out of my room. I know that sounds awful, but I was fucking scared. He said he came out of his room and his mom was in the living room, screaming. 
He said he could see who he assumed was his dad through the doorway, on the floor, surrounded by blood. That's you're in the you're in the back room. Um, you hear pop pop. You heard that. You heard that through your. Oh yeah. Through your thing. How many? You heard, you you just have it as two pops. That's. You know, I couldn't tell you, and I know that. Um. I don't know. I heard a couple of pops, but I don't know how many there were. Okay. But it was uh, it was loud. And you work you work at the you used to work at a gun range or is that I used to own I was a gun business, Jupiter Arms. That was me. I was the first one. Okay. The green Hummer with the <laughs> the signs on the side. Okay. And um, then, um, so you know you know what gunshots obviously sound like. You, yeah, but I mean I've heard uh, you know fireworks and stuff too, but if you're right. indoors it's uh you know you usually know what it is, but again, with the earplugs, you know. Okay. The officer asked what his mom's demeanor was when he came out of his room after hearing the gunshots. She was screaming and screaming my name, and she was, like, going around in the living room with her arms up. Did she, was she saying anything of what happened or what's no. going on or anything? No. This is a little more of a difficult question, but do you think that your mom is capable of shooting your dad? No. No, she, she's got her dogs, and she's got us, you know, and grandmother. No. Like if she had found out that he was going with somewhere with Francine still, still or... No, no. Would that, would that no. be enough to put her... Over the edge to say, I don't think. No. Court testimony later added more details to what Radley said he saw. Just before 7 a.m., he woke up to gunfire. He jumped out of bed, and from the glass door in his bedroom, he could see into the living room where Donna was hurrying back and forth in the archway to her and Lanny's bedroom, screaming. Quote, I saw my mom running in and out. She looked like some sort of Tim Burton puppet caricature of herself. She just looked like something out of a horror movie. She was absolutely hysterical. And I, I think she was saying my name several times. Radley, Radley, your father, your father. Then he heard the sound of dry clicking. Click, click, click. The dry firing sound from a gun when the shots in the revolver are empty. Lying face down on the bathroom floor was a naked figure. Radley wasn't sure if it was a burglar or his dad. According to the assistant state attorney, Radley asked, What happened? What happened? Did he attack you? Donna replied, He was so mean to me. He was so mean to me always. The blood pooled around Lanny. Radley described hearing his father make a terrible sound as he was dying. Radley didn't go into the bathroom, but he told police what he heard from his vantage point. I saw somebody laying on the floor facing away with me with dark hair. Right. And that's what you told us initially. Yeah. And, you know, you can put two and two together, but uh, under the circumstances, uh, I mean, you know, it could have been a burglar and my dad was still asleep or had a heart attack in bed hearing gunshots, but we know that's not, obviously not, but, um, um, and again, I 
to know that he wasn't wearing anything, to be pretty sure that he wasn't wearing anything. Oh, and I think I mentioned this to you. I heard water running. Right. Like, it didn't sound like a sink. It sounded like more, almost like gushing, you know. Um, but, uh, so I saw enough to see that he, you know, wasn't wearing anything. And I don't know if it was when I was at the outer door or when I went a little closer, but, um, there was, he made this awful, like, gurgling sound. Just like one, like, almost like a bubble in a, a tar pit sort of thing. And I think that's when I uh, went back in the kitchen. The house was in chaos. The alarm was ringing. One of the bullets had cascaded through the shower door, breaking the glass, which set off the security alarm to the house. Suddenly, there was a knock at the door, security, then a medic with Admiral's Cove. In the gated community, the houses are connected to the guard gate. Warned by the alarm, a security guard went to the house first and couldn't get anyone to answer. He then sent over the medic. When the medic arrived, he saw a dazed-looking Radley, who looked like he just woke up, Donna, still screaming, and Lanny, bleeding profusely on the floor. The scene was so bloody, prosecutors later said it was difficult to collect DNA evidence. The medic assumed it was a suicide, because nothing ever happened in the affluent neighborhood. Calling in because we have a dead person at 408 Mariner. 408 Mariner? Right. And how do you know they're dead? Uh, we had an alarm go off over there and our medic responded. Once he arrived, um, there's a firearm down on the roof or wherever in the area and his own man was down. He's trying to resuscitate him right now. Okay, is he, is, did he shoot himself? Um, that's what it sounds like to me. Okay, so he committed suicide. Right. The medic tried to save Lanny, but he could tell it was too late. According to the assistant state attorney, quote, he sees a gaping wound that he realizes is not life-saving, and he basically pushes him, let's roll him back the way he found him, and says, we need to call this and back out. Lanny held a five-shot revolver in his right hand. Donna and Radley waited in their car parked on the driveway, while law enforcement arrived on the scene. Donna hugged her legs up and rocked. Donna's mother had slept through everything that happened. A Jupiter police officer noticed the blood splatter on Donna's feet. Donna, dressed in her pajamas, wiped them off. The assistant state attorney said, quote, Officer Coleman notices that, but doesn't think anything about it because she presumes that this woman has just witnessed her husband commit suicide and doesn't really think much of it. Bradley gave his mother some Starbucks napkins to help her clean herself. By now, the house was cordoned off. Nobody was allowed back inside. Police began investigating. Aside from the gun found in Lanny's hands, there was a second weapon in the home, a gun with blood around it that rested on the dresser in the master bedroom. There were five expended casings in the gun. The police investigation would later reveal Lanny had been shot a total of 10 times from both guns. The assistant state attorney told the jury, quote, 
You are going to see from the crime scene photographs that Lanny was in there showering, getting ready to go on his trip with Francine, and you will learn that he was going with Francine. She was going to pick him up at 8 a.m., and the confrontation that took place between Donna and Lanny Horwitz that morning led to him being shot nine or ten times by their own guns. During the shooting, Lanny apparently tried to make his way to the wall where a phone was hanging, but he never made a call for help. The bullets kept coming. He collapsed. The phone headset that had been mounted on the wall rested by Lanny's hands. The final bullet left graphic injuries. The gun had been placed directly in his mouth, according to the probable cause affidavit. Quote, It took out his tongue, his teeth, and lodged in the back of his throat, and actually dinged the tile that was underneath him. It didn't take long for authorities to realize Lanny's death couldn't have been a suicide, because he had been shot too many times and by two different guns. Donna refused to talk to the police. She asked for an attorney when authorities approached her at the scene. Radley, however, was cooperating. He gave a statement to police and he offered to let them check his hands for gunshot residue. There wasn't any. He gave a more detailed statement a week later with his attorney present. A search warrant turned up more clues. A lease that showed that Donna and her mom were moving out of the Jupiter house and into a new place. By the time Lanny was set to return from his Asheville trip with Francine, Donna was supposed to be gone. Donna's pajamas that she had been wearing that morning were nowhere to be found. Authorities also found an arsenal of weapons in the Horwitz's attic. The guns were from Radley's business which was troubling since Radley wasn't allowed to have firearms after his criminal charges. Lanny was supposed to have put the guns in a storage facility, but instead locked them in his attic. Investigators also found something else, Donna's diary. It's a sad, sad picture with such clarity into what was going on with Donna Horwitz's life, the assistant state attorney said. The future was bleak for the Horwitz family. Lanny, the patriarch, was dead. Donna was charged with his murder. And the house in Admiral's Cove went into foreclosure and was sold. The $200,000 from Donna's mother hadn't been enough to save the property. It was so upside down. Donna's investment was lost. Radley's message about his father's death as he did interviews with the national media was about how his father had treated his mother. What goes around comes around. Authorities charged Donna in connection to Lanny's death, and after a 2013 trial, she was convicted of first-degree murder. But this wasn't a simple open-and-shut case. According to the Palm Beach Post newspaper, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that prosecutors violated Donna's constitutional right to remain silent during her first trial. Jurors shouldn't have been told that she refused to talk to Jupiter police when they arrived to investigate the shooting, the high court ruled. And so Donna would get another chance to prove her innocence with a second trial in 2017. Both of her trials were similar. The prosecutor read her private journal entries, 
and Donna and her defense team blamed someone else for the murder, her son. This is a case about jumping to conclusions. The police made up their mind who they were going to accuse of this crime based on circumstantial evidence, despite other evidence that Donna Horwitz did not do this. Donna's defense attorney, Gray Tesh, told the jury in his opening statements that Donna wasn't the one who had shot Lanny in the bathroom. It was Donna and Lanny's son. Radley did it, the defense insisted. They said Radley had the motive that he harbored hatred for his dad for years, blaming him for his legal problems. Tesh said, quote, But the important thing is he always blames his father, always blamed him for that. Now he can't get a job, he can't make money, he can't support his daughter, and he can't do the one thing in life that he's great at. He knows a lot about firearms and he was good at it. He said Radley knew his dad's business was failing and that he was struggling with money. Quote, Rad saw all those checks and they were garbage. He knew everything was going downhill. He knew ain't no money, but he also knew that he was the recipient of a life insurance policy. He had half a million reasons to kill his dad. And right before September 30th, 2011, what does he find out? Francine Tice is getting $200,000 of that life insurance money that should have been going to him. And he was not happy. He hated his dad. He blamed him for his federal conviction. The defense pointed out that Radley knew all about how gun residue works. Remember how he offered to let police look at his hands and test it for gun residue, which came back negative. Radley, known for being an obsessive cleaner and keeping rubbing alcohol on him nearly all the time, had washed his hands to hide the evidence, the defense argued. Investigators had found keys to the gun safe in Radley's drawer. The defense also claimed Radley's story kept changing the more he talked to police. In his first statement, he didn't mention seeing blood on his mom's foot. A week later, with Radley's lawyer listening in, Radley said he noticed blood on top of his mom's foot. Doesn't say which foot, Tesh said. It doesn't say multiple spots. A spot, singular. A year later, Radley said in a court deposition that it was actually three drops the size of M&M candies, according to the defense. So as time goes on, Tesh said, it gets more and more incriminating for Donna. So which statement do you believe? It's hard to tell. Jupiter police officer Christy Coleman, who had observed Donna wiping the blood off her feet, didn't write that crucial fact down in her report, Tesh said. The truth is, that day when she was there, she filled out a report. She made no mention of any blood on Donna's foot, nothing as she fills out a report. She claimed she had forgotten to include it and didn't mention the blood until she gave a deposition a year later, the defense said. Investigators also never found the bloody Starbucks napkins that Radley said he had given to his mother to wipe her shoes, the defense pointed out. And the diaries, Tesh said. The state is going to try to prove this through some kind of motive through the diaries. Love, hate, and obsession. That's their theme. You know what? We embrace that. Yes, she loved Lanny. Lanny was the love of her life. Did she like what was going on with Francine? Absolutely not. She did not like that. But Donna, who had never been violent towards her husband before, 
was at peace, Tesh said. She and her mother already had plans to move out. That night of the shooting, she watched the premiere of Curb Your Enthusiasm with Lanny, not the actions of a woman about to shoot someone ten times out of anger. The journal entries show something else, Tesh said, that Donna was a loving, doting grandmother, not a killer. And when it came to direct evidence, there was none, according to the defense. Quote, There's no direct evidence that Donna Horwitz ever fired either one of those guns. There's no DNA specifically linking her to either one of those guns. There's no fingerprints on there. There's no fingerprints on the casings. There's no direct evidence. So what we have here is a circumstantial case. Anyone can say this is love, hate, and obsession, but it's ridiculous when you look at the facts. The real motive, he said, was money. Radley, the unemployed felon bumming off his parents, got money from the insurance, at least minus what Francine took. Tesh said Radley ended up suing Francine and reaching a settlement deal. And by now, in 2017, Donna's mother, his grandmother, had died. He told the jury that Radley benefited with the inheritance money there since, quote, he has gotten Donna out of the way. At 43 years old, Radley Horwitz took the stand as a witness for the prosecution. He described the family dynamics and how Lanny treated him and his mother. He could be kind of snide and sneering to both of us, but there was never any physical abuse, Radley said. Lanny always said it matter-of-factly, I'm not a warm and effusive person. He made snide remarks and talked up his life max work which Radley said was really a pyramid scheme. How Radley described it on the stand, Lanny, quote, would boast and say, oh, I have to go to a LifeMax event with Fran. It's this terribly important thing. We're going to have these, you know, giant checks are going to be flowing in from all of these other suckers that they had under them in this pyramid scheme. Radley testified that Lanny paid for everything for Francine, like spa treatments and fancy dinners. Under questioning, Radley said Francine didn't have the alarm code to get into the house and didn't believe she had ever had a master key either, even though she was their realtor. The morning of the shooting, he described waiting in the car, parked outside, while the first responders and law enforcement responded. Donna hugged her legs and was rocking. Radley said she got even more upset. She started going, oh God, oh God, oh God. She was looking at her foot, and there were a couple drops of blood on her left foot. Bradley testified he gave her rubbing alcohol, which he always kept on him as hand sanitizer, and napkins for her to wipe it off. The family wasn't allowed back into the house for the next week. They kept the same clothes on that they had been wearing at the time of the shooting. Donna's pajamas were washed, Bradley said. Bradley said he cooperated with police and gave statements. He didn't make any deals or ask for immunity. He was told that if the police discovered in their investigation that Radley had killed Lanny, Radley would be charged, he testified. And in spite of that, did you answer any and every question they had? The prosecutor asked Radley on the stand. Nothing to hide, then or now, Radley replied. 
he let them search his car, gave a DNA swab, and let them test his hands for gunshot residue. When he was finished making his statement to police, Donna was arrested. Radley moved back into the Admiral's Cove house with his grandmother in October 2011 until they sold the house. The house was completely upside down, and I think her mortgage that she gave my father, that money was the fourth mortgage on the house, Radley testified. Radley took care of his grandmother until her death a year or so before the 2017 trial. He said he was cleaning up his grandma's belongings after her death when he found his mother's pajamas that police had been looking for in the bottom of a trunk filled with receipts and junk. He sent them into the Jupiter Police Department. The prosecutor asked Radley about the life insurance he collected in the wake of his father's death, more than $500,000. An additional $200,000 was supposed to go to Francine. Radley had known for years, after his parents' divorce, that he was the beneficiary. It wasn't anything new to him. When he was in prison, Lanny visited him and asked him to sign an update in 2007 to include Francine, although Radley hadn't known what exactly it was for. He just signed without asking too many questions. Radley sued Francine, and the two ended up settling for $90,000. And yes, Radley was eager to admit he was an expert in guns when the prosecutor asked. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken with police officers, including recently in Palm Beach Gardens, and corrected them on stuff, he said. As for the gunshot residue test, Radley said he was more familiar with that from watching TV. Under questioning from his mother's defense attorney, Radley said he had bought a hitman book a guide on how to kill someone, at a gun show, and then sold it for a fantastic profit. Quote, I knew what it was when I saw it. It was basically a how-to manual. The company had gotten sued and had to stop printing them and destroy all copies, so it was a collectible book. There were some rumors that it was actually written by a housewife. It was quite infamous. A Jupiter police detective testified she interviewed Francine Tice after the shooting. Francine was distraught and was so upset her friend stayed with her. Francine herself also took the stand. Francine, who worked as a realtor, testified she was a friend and business associate of Lanny's. For two of his houses, she decorated and staged it to help the property sell. Lanny never paid her for her work, she said. Not that she appeared to need it. She was well off financially and lived in a house right off the ocean. Lanny and Francine's conversations were mostly business, she said. Quote, In the beginning, when Radley introduced us, he wanted to probably be more like a dating kind of thing, but I wasn't interested because I was married for 35 years and had just gotten divorced, and I wasn't interested in anything other than a friendship and to be his realtor. Just like Lanny, Francine was never able to pry herself completely away from her husband. They had been married for 35 years before they divorced, but were back together again, she said, when she testified at Donna's murder trial in 2017. But Lanny was an important person in her life. She called him her best friend. Lanny and Francine were both excited about a big business deal that was emerging out of Italy, 
They were a few months away in 2011 of striking something big. That morning of the shooting, Francine remembered picking up coffee for their long drive to Asheville, North Carolina. The police were already blocking off the neighborhood, and squad cars were lining the street. It was awful, Francine said. I just said, I'm here to pick up my business partner. And they said, you're not going anywhere. Please turn the car around. We're not letting anybody down the street. Francine went home. It didn't take long for word to get to her that Lanny was dead. His house, just a few doors down, was where all the police were camped out. Rumors circulated that his death was a suicide, which Francine couldn't believe. Not somebody as happy as Lanny, she thought. I lost it, and I don't remember much after that, she said. After Lanny's death, Francine learned she was named as a beneficiary in his life insurance. Lanny had left her $200,000. She absolutely did not know he planned to give her any money, she said. Everything came as a complete surprise after his death. Under questioning, Francine said she did not know the code to get into Lanny and Donna's house without triggering the alarm. The 2017 trial testimony was over, and now it was time for closing arguments. Assistant State Attorney Alethea McRoberts said the inescapable conclusion was that Donna had had enough. There was no more joy in her life. It was over and she now knew it. A woman of advancing age had been taken, in her mind, and disappointed and used for the last time, McRoberts said. She pointed to the journal as evidence a look into Donna's inner thoughts, a window into her mind. The prosecution had read multiple diary entries to the jury, while Donna, who didn't take the stand at her trial, listened. McRoberts insisted that there was premeditation to shoot Lanny while he was helpless and naked in the shower, since one gun was found in Lanny's hand and the other placed back in the holster on the master bedroom dresser. His and her guns that both fired, she said. Francine and Radley, while they received life insurance money in Lanny's death, also would have benefited if Lanny was alive with the pending Italian deal, she told the jury. Quote, You know beyond all doubt, 100% from the evidence, without speculation and wishful thinking, is that there were only two people in that house, other than Mr. Horwitz at the time of his death, Only two, Radley and Donna, period. She said it was, quote, insulting nonsense to speculate that Francine, who is a well-off woman and was going on a trip with him at eight, that she might have done it for a $200,000 life insurance policy she knew nothing about. McRoberts also tried to downplay the defense's theory that Radley was the killer. Radley had no motive, she argued. Why would Radley want to kill his dad? Radley already had it made, living in the mansion, driving a luxury car his dad paid for, doing whatever he wanted to do. He was living the lifestyle of the rich and famous in Admiral's Cove, she said. Radley clearly was already tapped into his dad's money. Yes, he benefited from the life insurance, but he also stood to benefit more if his dad's business deal in Italy hit gold. She said if Radley was harboring a grudge, blaming his father for his federal crime, that was five years ago. 
enough time had passed. You can be mad at someone, but that doesn't mean you want to kill him. She told the jury, This is Donna Horwitz all day long. The gun is in her bedroom. This is an argument, a heartbreak between her and Lanny, nobody else. And Donna's allegedly bloody foot that the police officer didn't put in her report and that Radley didn't mention until a week later? She said there was no evidence that Radley and the police officer collaborated on their story together. Radley clearly wasn't trying to blame his mother for a crime. He had testified he never saw his mother with a gun and that he didn't know what had happened. The medic who hurried over described Radley as looking confused, like he had just woken up from bed. Seriously, McRoberts asked, world's worst setup if that's what's being alleged. The crime was so violent and bloody, there was limited DNA, she argued. This was not a financial execution. This was an emotional, deliberate elimination of this man who had broken her heart. It was deliberate rage, ten shots, nine of them striking the shower, and then the last one by evidence is likely the one in the mouth. She asked the jury to convict Donna Horwitz of deliberately killing her husband. Defense attorney Joe Walsh started his closing arguments asking, how could you convict someone of murder based on words in a diary page? He said, this is a court where we demand evidence, physical evidence, real tangible stuff that people can touch and feel like DNA, like blood splatter. This is what this court is about. That's the evidence the state needs to get beyond a reasonable doubt. He said, if he went to a divorce court, I guarantee you the most tame thing you'll hear anyone say about their ex-spouse is that they are Mr. Meanie. To say that the journal is the smoking gun evidence in this case is an absolute joke. He criticized the police investigation, pointing to a partial bloody handprint on the gate that was never identified. Quote, a partial print means that someone is walking up to that gate and they're touching that gate and handling it with that blood, and they are barehanded. That's crucial, he told the jury, because the blood that's on their gate we know is of Lanny, and we know that it's likely, maybe, that the person that did this crime had that blood on their hands and walked out of that front gate, leaving a trail of evidence from the front door of that house. They should have been looking at that from the beginning, they should have been checking to see if that DNA matched somebody else. It's not our job, it's their job. The state was so focused on Donna, he argued, authorities didn't properly rule out other suspects. They didn't extensively interview Francine multiple times and didn't take a DNA standard from her. They didn't look closely at her bank records or interview her inner circle to learn more about her or probe into her text messages. He said Francine also had her concealed weapons permit, so she knew how to fire a gun. However, he said the person who had a financial motive was Radley. Radley, a grocery store employee, stood to make $500,000 on his father's insurance policy, although he eventually shared some of it with Francine. Radley was also an expert on guns. He told the jury that Donna was the one who gained nothing even though she had been married to Lanny twice. She wasn't a beneficiary. I know when you look at the evidence in this case, when you open that egg carton, 
when you look under the hood and you see all those cracked eggs, and that the state just didn't prove their burden in this case, I know that you all will do the right thing. The right thing is finding Donna Horwitz not guilty today. Soon the jury began deliberating, and for the second time in her life, Donna listened as the word guilty was read aloud in court. This time she was convicted of second-degree murder instead of first-degree murder. Donna was 71 years old when she was sentenced to 32 years in prison. The Sun's Sentinel covered the sentencing. The prosecutor said, quote, This defendant not only has been found guilty a second time, she killed the love of her life. There's nobody that would disagree with that. She blamed her only child, who was her last living relative, for all intents and purposes. Donna's son, Bradley, told the newspaper he was no longer speaking to his mother. She had made fun of him for talking to a therapist, he said. Bradley told the Sun Sentinel he was at peace with his mother's defense strategy of blaming him for his father's death. But according to the newspaper, quote, he had grown weary of it by her second conviction, saying he was tired of having his reputation attacked. Still, he sympathizes with his mom. And that's all for this episode. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Do you agree with the verdict? Let me know by joining the conversation on Instagram at Court Junkie, by tweeting me at Court Junkie Pod, or by emailing me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. This episode was researched and written by Gabrielle Rusan. Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash courtjunkie. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.